Hall. This is Hampton from the More and More Podcast. We are so excited to have Levi Wright on today. Uh, we talked about America and its immigration policy, just a tad bit, but mostly we talked about uh, how the church can be better at uh, caring for immigrants and for refugees, what the individual Christian can be doing more, and we also talked a little bit about Levi's uh, LinkedIn profile. Um, Levi's awesome, so without further ado, introducing the awesome and beautiful and soft-spoken Levi Wright. All right, welcome to the More and More podcast. We have with us Levi Wright. Levi is the head of our international ministry at Shannon College, and today we're going to talk about refugees and immigration and all of the above. Levi, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Man, I'm peachy. I'm a little under the weather, so I'm going to sound gross. And for those of you who keep putting reviews out there and saying that I sniff a lot, uh, you're going to have to get over it, and I'm sick of y'all already. You can't blame him. It's just gross weather. Yeah, get out of here. Blame it on the weather. (laughs) All right, Levi, uh, start off. Tell us who you are. Uh, Yeah, just tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, so um, as Hampton has already said a few times, uh, my name is Levi, (laughs) and I am a senior here at USC um, in my last semester, which is kind of surreal. Mm. Um, Kind of a bummer as well. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I am an international studies major, uh, minoring in Spanish and religious studies. So international studies kind of has a little bit to do with political science. So I guess you could say there's a little bit of um, background on the political side as far as immigration and um, refugee stuff. But I mean, I wouldn't say I'm by no means an expert on any of this. But um, other than that, um, really passionate about like international students, international cultures. I lived abroad when I was younger, um, lived in Italy for about Three or four years. So, how did what, why'd you live in Italy? My dad was in the military. So, my okay. dad was in the military for um, 23 years. And then, so wow. I lived in Milan, Italy. Um, it was a cool experience. How old were you? I was in late elementary school, early middle school. So, still wow. old enough. Milan, to, though, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> remember it. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Everybody, so you're talking about how you're about to go to Europe, and everybody always on their European vacation flies <laughs> into Rome and over, yeah. skips over Milan and it. It's kind of a bummer because like no one ever wants to go, and I was like, it was my home, so yeah, it's cool. But I say if you really want to like um, experience real Italy, go to Milan because that's like where people live and yeah. people work. And so, how did you, aside from living abroad, how did you get? I guess how did you become passionate about international students, about international ministry, about refugees, all of the above? How did that happen? Yeah, I really not to dwell on the living abroad thing, but I really do think that. I didn't realize it at the time, but later on, I've looked back on my time living abroad, and I really do think that it was an experience that shapes my mindset about other cultures. And then just like being a foreigner in another country for a set period of time really right. made me, gave me an appreciation for what it's like to adapt to another culture to, to mm-hmm. like fit in. Cause we were not living on a military base. We were living in the middle of Milan, Italy with a bunch of other Italians and it was a whole other world. Um, but yeah, as far as later on in life, um, really developed a passion for refugees um it was the summer of my sophomore year i believe i um did jensen which is like an internship with the north american mission board right i did that in clarkson georgia which is right outside of atlanta um and the reason why i did it um was basically because i got asked to do it i had no plans no intentions (laughs) ever like moving down to Clarkson and working and living there. It was never something that I ever once expected doing. Um, but right. it was just kind of like Steve Turner, the guy in charge of it, asked me to do it. And I was like, okay, why not? I don't have any other plans. And <laughs> so there really wasn't a huge like conversion moment. Where I was like, oh, wow, like this is what I feel like I should yeah. do. But while we were down there, I mean, I was like working hands-on every day in communities full of refugees. Clarkson is like one of the most amazing places in the world. Um, it's a very small town, like a little over a mile, yeah. like over a square mile. And there's 60 languages spoken, wow. like 40 different nationalities. So, um, and a majority of those families and people that are there are refugees. Um, so getting close to them over the summer and spending six weeks there and then Ever since then, gotten back multiple times um, just to reinvest in relationships. 
um, with the refugee families and also with um, American mission partners that are living there. So definitely have a huge heart for refugees through that. As far as like immigrants go, like I don't, I'm not like... So Clarkson is predominantly refugees. It's predominantly refugees. And I think we can talk about that later, but I think it's really important to understand the difference between refugees and immigrants because it is like a totally, more or less, it's a pretty different um, concept. Yeah. Um, But yeah, as far as refugees go, I feel like more than your average college student, I have a decent amount of experience. But immigrants... um, not I'm a, sure there's some similarities, yeah. but some differences similarities. as well. It's a lot more similarities and differences, but um, like legal immigration, um, illegal immigration. Like I've, I got to spend some time down in Phoenix as part of the whole like Jensen internship process, and we did a little bit of work with a ministry um, that, since Phoenix is so rel- like a lot closer than here, I say right. close to the border, but it's um, still a little bit out but there is a huge um immigrant population and a lot of that is illegal so not just legal immigrants but also illegal there and this was this ministry that specialized in you know ministering to them and and working with them so as far as hands-on experience that was about to the extent of it but also um yeah so a lot of refugee decent amount of immigrants i'm not gonna (laughs) by either means to be an expert yeah no so just to kind of kick off our whole discussion, what is, what are the essential issues when we talk about refugees and immigration? Like, where do, what do we need to have an understanding of to even begin having the conversation? I think, um, especially as Christians in our culture, I think it's really important, and I think you can apply this to just about any kind of hotbed political topic. Is that um, you don't get all your information from the news. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> not the most the sad state of things. Is that's yeah. not the most um, credible source anymore. Um, and just to go into it with a mindset that we really aren't as educated about it as we think we really might be. Mm. Um, and especially when um, like our opinions and where we get our information from is, is fed through the news and through like media, it can really be a lot more biased than we know. And as far as Christians go and how we approach immigration and refugee, the refugee crisis, um, if you're not basing your opinion on scripture, then I think you're kind of missing that. And it is tough because there's not like a, like with a lot of issues, like there's like in clear like instances that you can look in scripture that very much so like express like this is, how it is and it's more so black and white but with this it's it's not as much so so it is a little bit more difficult but um some essentials is definitely to go into it with a mindset that you might not know as much as you think and i've had to tell myself that too and also um just to understand how complex the system is um what do you mean like the so like a process for a refugee a refugee will like live in a will be displaced for some reason or another they'll live in a camp not if they're ultimately resettled to the u.s they'll like live in a camp um so like say someone is um displaced from syria like they'll like go to like a camp in like jordan and live there for right like six years so like an incredibly long amount of time oh wow and they have to go through process after process paperwork after paperwork to eventually get like the very minute chance of making it to the U.S. And then when yeah. they get to the U.S., there's all these requirements and all this. So, and the same with, like, immigration. Like, yeah. the legal system for people to legally immigrate to the U.S. is so many layers and complex, mm. like, complex, just, like, vocab and all this, like, complex political stuff that just most people don't really know. And yeah. it's hard to gain that knowledge. Um yeah, so I think that's essential to approaching both of these is to just, like, take a step back and appreciate how complex it is before we make any assumptions on the whole situation as a whole. Yeah. So you you talked about a little bit about, like, the media, and the, it's no doubt the media has a huge influence on the way we think about pretty much everything, right? But especially this issue, um, do you feel like 
going to Clarkston, Georgia or to Phoenix changed your opinion? Do you feel like you walked in with one idea of what the those kinds of people or those kinds of people groups was going to look like and then you left with a different idea? Like what were there some experiences that changed your mind? I don't really think that I went into either one of those with a preconceived kind of mindset. So you were an open slate? Yeah, pretty much because like I was saying, yeah. if you're not getting it from the news um, and I, like, I'm, I'll be honest, like, I'm not the most news <laughs> reading guy. Yeah. That's not something I go out and do all the time. So I wasn't really getting right. it from the news. And then the system is so complex that you really have to really want to dive into it and really have to learn. If you Like, the only way to learn is if you really, really make an effort to. Yeah. So I wasn't getting it from either of those places. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I'll just go because it sounded like an interesting opportunity. So I wasn't, like hard one way or the other but when I went there it definitely did when you put a face to a name and when you see like a person a refugee as a person um, just like you it definitely personifies it and I definitely say I have an opinion that's more in in another way after yeah like being face to face hands on loving right going into homes sharing meals hugging with these families so yeah so talk to me about some of those experiences uh in your work with refugees and immigrants um specifically like personal experiences i know you talked a little bit about just what that looks like on a macro level but yeah what what kind of things did you experience living in clarkston for 10 weeks or however long you were there um yes so i think the most special times I had in Clarkson were just like sharing a meal and like going into someone's home and you yeah. go in um, and you're there for literally like four hours because like <laughs> it's like a cultural thing that they like appreciate guests but also you quickly realize that um, like it's not you're not just like viewed as a guest but you're quickly viewed as like family and like wow. they're like living their yeah. like daily lives like getting their kids ready for bed and then they'll like give you a kid and like here go ahead and help and like just <laughs> within being there for a few hours like you're really yeah. just embraced as being yeah. family more or less and that's something that I I don't really not in like a judgmental way but it's not something that's really like normal for yeah I was US I was gonna culture. ask like. The differences in community, I guess, like the idea of community in America versus in those countries, but also in those communities that are here now yeah. from those countries has always struck me because I have spent little amounts of time uh, around immigrant communities or refugee communities and the community atmosphere of everybody in yeah. this community is our family seems to be the biggest difference. And you come in as an outsider, like thinking like, oh, like I'm here to like help you out. Like right. this is like what I came to do and then you're quickly taken in as family and like welcome in and embraced and yeah you're very much like this is not really so much for me giving you anything like you're just like (laughs) giving for me Um, yeah and I think a lot of times as the church especially we like we get this like parachute mindset of like I'm gonna yeah I'm here to make their lives a lot better but it seems to be that the other way yeah yeah (laughs) for sure um so I want to talk about the refugee crisis, and I should have put that in quotes, right? But um, really, what is the state of um, the refugee system in America, and then what is the church's role in that? Does that question make sense? I think so. <laughs> Why don't you answer it as you see fit, and then I'll clarify. <laughs> what is the church's role in the refugee crisis that's, yeah that's kind of what you're asking right and what does the refugee crisis look like even now like yeah because Clarkson Georgia is a small yeah. small piece of the the puzzle for sure um, yeah so as far as like the refugee crisis goes now like how you said you can put it in quotes because depending on how you look at it it can be well I obviously like these people are suffering like right it's humanitarian Violation, so that is a crisis on its own. But when you look at it from a Christian perspective, it doesn't really have to be a crisis. But I'll get to that. Um, but yeah, like as far as the crisis itself, um, I think there's a majority of um, refugees come from I think it's Syria, Afghanistan, and 
um, one country in Africa that I can't think of off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. But um, war torn, war torn. Yeah. yeah. So okay, yeah. Now I come. I'm kind of tracking your question a little <laughs> bit more. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay, I got you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Yeah, so like the background of a refugee um, and their process. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what I was talking about. It's important to distinguish between a refugee and just a normal immigrant. A refugee, by definition, is someone who um, is forced to flee their own country because of persecution, war, or violence. And it's based on a well-founded fear of persecution for either race, religion, nationality, opinion, or membership to some sort of group or a party so more or less like refugees have like zero choice in their leaving it's either we're going to stay in this country and in our country our home that we love and have grown up in and be killed for what we believe or we can leave or we'd be forced to leave um and i think a lot of times when we think of refugees we are quick to be like oh like they're just here to like yeah like take our jobs and like all (laughs) this like no like they they have no choice it's like it's like if I were to come into your home and be like, you you have to leave right now or I'm going to kill you. And like, right. it's There's no choice. There's no, like, obviously they're immensely grateful for the opportunity to have a new life and start over. Right. But they miss their home. Like, this is not home for them. This is hard. And it's not, we, we don't need, I think an issue that Americans have is going into like interactions with refugees like oh, we're doing this amazing thing by like welcoming our country which we are and I think it is great but at the same time like it's it's important to remember like these people are here because they have no other choice it's either right. life or death mm-hmm. um and as far as the crisis like on a macro level um I think it's roughly 60 million people um, wow so I think I did I did the math and it's if you took the whole population of California and Florida, combine them, that's the amount of people who are being affected by the crisis and wow. who are being resettled. And a very, very, very small percentage of those people actually ever make it to places like the U.S. Um, so, like I said, a lot of those people will end up in camps just over the border from the country where they're fleeing from and in a country that's probably not much probably better not than much better off exactly um so really it's affects a huge amount of people but it's a very backwards complicated system that a lot of not a lot of people um sadly benefit from i guess yeah so what role does the the church play in that crisis i mean 60 million people is a lot of people and so um and then i don't i don't i'm not i don't know the numbers right off the top of my head of the people that are in the u.s but it's a fraction of that it just seems like such a big crisis and if the church doesn't start to move forward on it um and i think it is in some areas uh, but it could definitely be better like we don't have a hope of tackling 60 million people and the church can't house 60 million people because the church expands broader than that. So what is the church's role and even the individual Christian's role um, in that crisis? Yeah. So like you said, um, it's not like every church can just open their door and somehow house 60 million people. So that's right. That's not the answer. I think the answer is more so um, first in the way that you view the crisis and like what you do practically is, serve and love like Jesus, which is really easy to say, but it's a lot more complicated when you get down to it. But the way I think um, as the church, as people who believe in a God who is sovereign over all of creation, over all of history, um, if that's one of our core beliefs, then that has to change the way we look at the crisis. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like you can put crisis in quotes if you, if you really need to. Yeah. Um, and instead of focusing on how, for Americans, like this is a, a threat to us and a threat to our borders, right. we need to look at it um, from a biblical perspective and as an opportunity for Christians, how really it's an opportunity for us to advance the gospel and advance the Great Commission. I talk um, a lot like with dealing with international students um, who are obviously not refugees um, or immigrants, yeah. but they're coming to universities in America, universities like USC to, to study, but how I fully believe that God is bringing international students um, within our country yeah. from closed countries, from places that 
they would never hear the gospel otherwise to hear the gospel and to learn more about Christ and enter into relationships with him. And if I can think, if we can think that about international students, then like what is the difference between a refugee and an international student versus if anything, a refugee is here for a much longer period of time. A refugee needs a lot more help that the church can step in and provide and show Jesus for. I think um, it's good. Like time and time again, you see God using broken, terrible situations and then using them to glorify himself um, with like, like Job is, the whole book of Job is like Job suffering through all these right. terrible things by our standard, but in the end, God is glorified through it. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brother. He right. could, you could even consider him a modern a refugee by modern day standards. Yeah, and God point appoints him to be more or less in charge of Egypt, and he like yeah. is leading people, and God is glorified through that. Good. And even through like the gospel itself, like Jesus suffers immensely and goes through all this suffering to yeah. ultimately be glorified. So this whole idea of God using terrible situations to glorify himself is, is nothing new. And I yeah. don't think that the refugee crisis is really anything different. I think that um, obviously I can't speak for God, but who's to say that a refugee and immigrant that is coming here is not God saying, hey, like you're supposed to take the gospel to yeah. the nations, but let me help you out and bring them a little bit closer for you. Right. I think what you just said will lead well into our next question, but the the idea that the church is the church can only respond to the refugees that are here yeah. at our at our hands. And so like this is not a policy issue. This is a what are we doing with the people that yeah. are right here, like in our backyard? And I love what you said that God is bringing the nations to us, especially when we've been called to go to the nations. And it's like, okay, you're not figuring that out. So let me me help you (laughs) out. Yeah, right. Um, So the next question I want to talk about is, should America and the church be expected to think similarly similarly about immigration? And the reason why I ask that is you hear like this wide range of political opinions about this from not just politicians, but people that claim to be Christians even of like, we shouldn't accept refugees because we need to be about the American citizens mm-hmm. and we can still love refugees without accepting them. Then there's the flip side of we should let everybody in, have no limits, no borders even. Um, how, like, should we be picking? And if so, where do we reconcile the church's treatment of refugees and immigrants versus America itself? So as far as should America as a whole and the church be expected to think similarly about immigration um i really don't under like if i'm just if i was just talking about how we believe in a god who sovereignly orchestrates all of history like yeah. to most people outside of church they're like what does that even mean so right. if, like they can't even get past like the, the lingo that i use right. like how can i expect them to believe the exact same belief and, right. like that's not fair for me to get frustrated at someone who's not a Christian for not believing the same way that I believe. That's like, it's like, um, talk about like a vegetarian who's just like livid at everybody who eats animals. Like it's (laughs) not fair. Like you don't come from the same belief. Like you don't have the same background. Um, and I think when we go, go into like discussions about it with this mindset and we get frustrated, then it ends up ends up causing a lot more harm than good. And we have to understand that like, we're all broken people, um, us included. And it's not, it's, it's more or less hypocritical for us to just assume that everybody is just going to fall in line with us. If we, like, if we believe what is right, like, and I fully believe that what the Bible says when you read it about immigration is right. Yeah. But if someone isn't there yet, then I can't be frustrated if I'm not bringing them first to a relation like first to God first to Christ yeah leading them first to that then it's not fair for me to expect them to instantly just be like you know what what you say about immigration is right and yeah and I think Christians showing other Christians grace on this too because there's a lot of like politically minded Christians that have this fully much more well-formed like policy of that they would like of, of immigration and refugees whereas we should all agree like Christ first for the refugee and mm-hmm. treating them with respect and dignity. Like that's, that's basic 
things that we should be doing that we're not necessarily doing. Mm. And that has nothing to do with policy. Yeah, exactly. Um, There's like border security is not prohibiting you from caring for an immigrant. Like political opinion or mind is is not stopping you from um, caring for a refugee um, they're in Colombia, by the way. Like, it's yeah. not stopping you from going out and caring for someone. It's just your sin and your selfishness. And, like, we're all right there with you. Um, it's not like, yeah, I think we are very quick to put them, like, well, Paul, politically, I feel this way, this way. Like, no, you just don't want to do it. And, like, right. that's not okay, but it's also okay because we all struggle with not wanting to do the things that God tells us to do. Yeah, and I think looking, it's great that you brought up border security because. It's the hot topic right yeah. now, right, with um, old old Donnie, Donnie T in yeah. the White House. Um, a guy who's gotten a lot of flack for this issue, and I'm not going to ask you to like comment on Donald Trump, so don't, don't get stressed, but um, that would be a much longer, different yeah. podcast probably. Um, but the just the idea that like he's kind of made it a hotbed issue of like border security, and we kind of have to speak in quotes because both sides, one side, if I say – for instance, that I'm pro-wall, like I would like the wall to be built. Mm-hmm. I get painted as anti-immigrant. And if I say I'm open border, right, I get painted as I'm anti-security, I guess. I don't even know yeah. what that would be. But um, it seems like the Christian perspective is somewhere in the middle of I don't care about any of that. I just want to love people really, really well. Yeah. Um, and so I guess— you kind of already said it. You did already say it. But the, the question is, is, is border security in conflict with care for immigrants and refugees? Um, and can I be pro-wall and pro-immigrant? How do I, how do I reconcile the, the desire to keep secure borders, but also the desire to love the people that are here? Um, how do we do that and do that well? Yeah. So as far as border security stopping you from caring from refugees, um, like I said, it's not— um, <laughs> Even if we shut the borders down right now and didn't let another immigrant or refugee in, um, there's still a lot of work to be done within our country now. And if we can ever get to the point where every refugee and immigrant in the U.S. is fully being just covered in love by the church and by um, gospel-minded Christians, then maybe we can turn our attention to focus on changing the borders. But until we can fix and care and love for the refugees and immigrants that are in our mitts now, then, like, no, we're not there yet. Um, right. So, like I said, there's nothing stopping border security, um, hotbed political issue, um, the wall. <laughs> None of that is stopping you from caring and loving for immigrants and refugees. The only thing that's stopping you um, is just your desire to do it. Um, and can you be, like, as far as can you be pro-wall and pro-immigrant? Um to be honest, I don't think as the church we really have to pick one side or the other. And I think um, it's like with everything, it's very like polarized. Like you're either yeah. this or you're that. Um, I really don't think that as the church that's where we need to be focusing on. Um, the world is already divided enough as is. Um, um, and even if we like have these like podcasts and conversations to try to figure out like what side or what, like there's still going to be division. Um, we can talk about like meeting in the middle. Like there's still going to be division on whatever side you pick to fall on, and that's going to happen outside of the church, and it's going to happen inside the church. Like I could right. I could talk to someone who is super pro wall, or I could talk to someone who is super pro immigrant, and offer them all the the benefits of the other side for hours and they're still probably going to be like stuck in their ways. Yeah. Um, I think the labels are part of the problem anyways, right? It's like the fact that we have to be declared as pro immigration or pro refugee or that's part of it. And the, and even the, the boiling down of a person to whether or not they're a refugee. Yeah. uh, It becomes part of the problem too. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that seems to be just as damaging for the way we think. And then just as divisive is when we start putting labels out there. Yeah, exactly. And I don't and I don't think the win is like win in quotations is like whether or not you convince someone to like flip to your side or whether you like convince someone that your belief about pro wall or your belief about pro immigrant is better. Um, but the win as Christians, as followers of Christ is whether or not we can stay united um, as a body 
as a church and love one another. And then through doing that, like show that love and how we're united under one thing. And mm-hmm. that's the gospel and that's Jesus. Even though we have these two differences and two different opinions. I talk, I thought about it. Um, I was talking to one of my coworkers um, when we were like looking over um, this stuff for the podcast and like thinking through of it. Um, and he just got married and I don't, I don't think I shared this, but I'm soon to be married. Um, come May 17th. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're so, excited. Yeah, we're all excited. She's a lot cooler than me. So you should get her on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe next time. But, um, so in a marriage, um, like there, Meredith and I like can f- love each other and we do love each other. And there's still going to be things that like, like there's gonna be some stuff that she feels about a certain way that I don't exactly feel about a certain way. And like, you could say like, for example, and I'm not saying this is how we are, like she could be super pro wall and I could be super pro immigrant mm-hmm. and like we could clash on that. Yeah. But as a married couple, like we're still gonna love each other through mm-hmm. that. And even though there is division on certain issues, like the love we have for one another will overcome that and people looking outside in on our marriage should never see the division between, oh, like, Meredith's really pro-Walt, Levi's yeah. pro-immigrant. They should see the love we have for one another as a married couple yeah. first and foremost. And that should really just be the only thing they see. And as you think about it as the church, like, if we're, I don't think it's an accident that God talks about the church as the bride. Mm. Like, talk about a marriage. Like, yeah, if we're supposed to be, like, a body, um, and if some of us are, on one side of the issue and some of us are on the other like the church should the outside world should not see that in the church they should see the love they have for one another despite their differences and they should see that that love is because of Jesus and that's the win the win it's not when we're like on one side or another the win is when the world around us can see wow they might disagree but like they really look past of it and that must be something and we can say that's because of Jesus right and we can say that's because of Jesus that we're going out and loving these immigrants and these refugees regardless of what we think um yeah so it's like like hypothetically that looks like um if if like say for example you're 100% um pro wall right and like that would mean like you're gonna swallow your pride and um love on the immigrants in your community, even though you may personally feel like they shouldn't be here because they're illegal or um, or not. But, like, you're going to love on them because that's what the Bible tells us to do, to love the stranger. Um, yeah. And, like, for someone who is very much pro-immigrant and they strongly disagree with the wall and, like, the wall goes up, um, that looks like you swallowing your pride praying earnestly for the leaders of your country um, and trusting that God is sovereign over every leader, not Donald Trump, not whoever is the president, that God is sovereign over what's happening in our country. And that means swallowing your pride and praying earnestly and trusting in that and just rolling with it as it is. So on both sides, there's got to be sacrifice, but it's got to be united under the church together. That's really good. Um, where, Where can the church and really... You just kind of answered this, but even the individual believer, like what can we do right now to begin to care for immigrants and to begin to improve on the way we care for immigrants? It's not something that I've ever really even thought about until the past couple of years of meeting some international students that are awesome. But how do we how do we kind of join that movement of, of caring for, for immigrants and refugees? Yeah, so I think what the church needs to do as it um, works on caring for immigrants and refugees. I think the biggest thing the church needs to practice is humility. I don't yeah. think it. Ne- I don't think we need more people like blasting their political opinions on social media. I don't think that's ever like the cure to any problem or getting super stuck in your ways. Um, yeah. So approaching it all from a sense of humility, um, and then as right. far as like specifically um, to like love sacrificially, like Christ love us um and that like here in Colombia I don't know who's listening where but um like here in Colombia you can do that um the Good Samaritan Clinic um is a organization in Colombia that works with predominantly Spanish 
speaking immigrants to provide them with free health care. So oh, wow. get involved, jump in on that. Or Lutheran Services is uh, one of the um, refugee resettlement organizations. Yeah. And they actually resettle a small population here in Columbia. But like yeah. even with a small population, there's an immense amount of needs. So practically, you can love through that and just get involved yeah. um, regardless of what you feel like you believe. Yeah. Um, you can, the church can pray, um, pray for the safety of immigrants um, and their families, that when they're moving, it's not just a move in a geographical change location, but it's a move to a new life and a new faith in Christ. Um, you pray for the leadership of our country, um, that politicians would be aligned with God's will and trust that nothing is going to occur outside of what God has um, right. sovereignly ordained to happen. Um, pray that through immigration and through the refugee crisis that um, the church will show Christ's love to refugees, to immigrants, but also like what I was saying before, that it'll show the love of Christ to the rest of the world watching the way we respond mm. and um, pray that in all decisions, whether it's um, talking specifically about refugees and immigrants, but just pray that we would first be aligned with God's will and yeah. first be aligned with what we believe God says in his word and that we're basing all decisions off that. It's really good. Uh, the cool thing to me is I look, looking back at the podcast we just recorded with Iman Bolden, we talked about race in the church. Mm. There's a lot of similarities because um, something she said was like, how about just start by getting to know someone that doesn't yeah. look like you? And the amount of us that, first of all, have a close friend that doesn't look like us, but second, has a close friend that's not from our country is like yeah. it's few and far between. Um, and so really... To me, that that seems to be where it begins is getting to know yeah. uh, someone from another country. And swallowing and your pride and just <laughs> stepping out and just yeah yeah. Like if you, if you ever want to love someone, you got to know them first. Yeah, that's great. Well, we're gonna change gears pretty radically here and talk about some of these headlines that I sent over to you. Um, this is a faith and culture podcast, as we always say. So we want to know uh, your thoughts on this <laughs> these this stuff. The first one is a CNN headline about Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett arrested in Chicago. Uh, this is the guy from, for listeners who have no access to the news because this has been all over the news recently. Um, this is a guy who, it, I'm laughing and I shouldn't be, um, who was arrested for filing a false police report claiming that two paid MAGA-wearing people, people in people Chicago, him up, right? yeah, he, paid, he paid guys, his personal trainer to, and his brother to beat him up uh, so that he can claim that there was a racial attack. Levi, what are your thoughts on this? Any thoughts at all? Um. <laughs> it's a big um? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a big um. <laughs> I will say that it's really easy for us to be like, just like, what are you doing? Like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But if we're, if we're like talking about things through like a Christian perspective, um, it, this, just like a lot of other stories, it can... Be, become popular for a lot of the wrong reasons and yeah a lot of, like I'm sure um, I am gonna butcher his name Jesse Smollett Jesse Smollett Jesse Smollett I'm <laughs> sure um, there's a lot of just like backlash on a lot of hate being thrown towards him yeah um, but as Christians we have to make sure that we're not partaking in that because yeah just like just like a refugee just like an immigrant like he is someone like loved by God, made yeah. in God's image, and we have to make sure that um, we don't find ourselves um, in situations where we're joining in and bashing on him. Um, yeah, regardless of whether we necessarily think what he did was right or yeah. wrong. I, I got into, when I was reading this article, and I've kind of been following it, I listened to some news podcasts, and they've been, I mean, this story's been out for a few days, but... Um, I got into I get in, you know how I get so I get into this like roasting mindset of like man yeah. this guy it's pretty what is he it and it's easy to do easy with to this um, but I think it. too like I was thinking more about it and I was like man how sad is this that this guy first of all loved yeah. fame and money and career so much that he was willing to do this to extend that mm -hmm. another six months before the media forgot about this yeah. and then second how sad is it that the racial climate in our country is bad enough to where the media believed this for yeah. days without investigation because they yeah. thought this would. Um, so 
it's like I'm I'm trying to toe the line of like, man, we should wait for evidence on this, but also this is kind of sad for this guy that thought this is the more way. More than anything, it's it's he very it. sad. Um, and I agree with what you said. It's sad that the fact that two guys beating up a black actor because he was black, yeah, is like believable. Right, and like that's. That's right. the deeper, like, sadder issue. Yeah, and granted, again, the story, he, he hired it and he took advantage of the ra- racial climate. I get that. But if the racial climate is able to be taken advantage of, then we've got we've to address some stuff yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, let's jump to the next one. This is um, this one is interesting when you consider the, the refugee conversation. But basically, uh, the headline is ISIS wife begging to return to U.S., is willing to pay her debts, attorney says, while critics say jihadists have no space here. So basically, for our listeners, um, this is a person who joined ISIS, um, was married to an ISIS member, an active ISIS member, um, somewhere along the line had a change of heart and is asked to be brought back into the U.S. with her children. Um, And basically, there's a lot of controversy over whether or not this woman should be allowed in. She said she'll go to prison. She'll do whatever she needs to do to get into our country um, to come back home. But she, uh, so far, there's been a lot of controversy on whether or not she should be allowed back because, again, she's coming from a jihadist mindset not too long ago. Um, and so this, to me, I'll get your thoughts on it, Levi, but also it begs the question of what is what is the way back for people like her? So this is a different kind of refugee, but someone who has perpetrated the need for refugees versus a refugee themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um yeah, this one is very is very tough because, um, you know, like on one hand, like no one is past from like a biblical perspective, no one is past the point of like done wrong to the point of where they're not forgiven. So it's like right. therefore we should um, try to extend it and do the same. Yeah, but I will say like you can't take that to the extreme and this the, the reason I say like this one is tough is because the article talks about in 2015 where this woman was um, a Twitter account linked to her said to um, to Muslims in America go on drive-bys and spill all their blood or rent a big truck and drive all over all of them yeah. veterans Patriots Memorial etc day killed them and that was in 2015 right so it's like I can understand how there's a change of heart and like yeah. there's no no one outside of deserving of forgiveness and grace. But yeah, it's it's definitely this one's definitely tough. Um I will say like I'm definitely glad I'm not the one making the decision. <laughs> right. Um, but in the article also it talked about how like there were people there's like a force or <laughs> something like being put together to go and like question her there. Yeah. Um and I think as far as like national security, um, they're like I think before you let anybody in, like you need to go like question them and like with the whole like immigration, like um, it, it kind of relates to the whole like legal immigration system, like it's so broken and so complicated um, yeah. that it's impossible for people who actually do want to come and do good. Um, right. So it's kind of similar to that. Like if she really wants to come back and is um, remorseful for what she's done, then she should be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but only after, like, there's been plenty of, like, questioning and, and background and yeah. follow-up. Um, and I think, too, there's so much value in her saying, I'm willing to pay the penalty yeah. of, like, I, she should probably come back and then go to prison as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Like, that's, think- that to me is, like... If you're willing to do that, then maybe you ha- there has been a certain amount of repentance. In the yeah. same way, like if I, um, I mean, Iman talked about this too, but like a racist who comes back, they, they're going to have to pay whatever that price is. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody. I mean, this woman joined ISIS and actively called for murder. Like, yeah. And so her it's, price is going to be different. Yeah. Um, it, it's further complicated too because she has a son and her yeah. son was not no choice to be born into this. Yeah, he's not He's not guilty of anything, you know? Yeah. This one's really, it's really tough because um, yeah. it says kill veterans. Like, that's like, <laughs> yeah. like but I, I said, think it, my dad was in the military yeah. for 23 years and yeah. that's like a, 
open call to like like that's my dad. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, it like yeah, it's tough. But, but I think it also illustrates the the complicated nature of the whole issue of like yeah. this is not every every person refugee immigrant is different and has going to have its their own set of problems and and reasons why we should let them in and reasons why we shouldn't and yeah and it's almost like this is a case by case thing that we have to address the person first absolutely is i don't think there's an easy yes or no answer and she perfectly um exemplifies that and i think the fact that it's like oh maybe we will have to like invest more into the system and work more to changing and bettering the system to let people in i was like that's not necessarily a bad thing, though. Like, Certainly, there's a there's a good way to find a balance between yeah. legitimate concerns for security and allowing people into yeah. our country. Speaking of uh, concerns for security, I know you hate talking about the wall, but the last one, Fox News. Um, I got two off of Fox News this week and one off of CNN. So next week we'll have to flip that balance. just so everybody relaxes. Um, Go to BBC. (laughs) Miller vows a couple hundred miles of wall will be completed by 2020, says Trump will defend emergency declaration. So for those of you living under a rock, uh, Donald Trump declared uh, a state of emergency in order to begin building the wall and to secure the funding that he needed. Um, Yeah. What are your thoughts on this article? And you may not have a ton because you you talked earlier a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm not going to like pick sides. (laughs) First and foremost, the money that is being used to build a wall, I can think of a billion, not a billion, but a a lot of reasons, a lot of other ways that that same money can be invested. And specifically within the immigration system, I don't understand why there's this so, and I hate that the wall has become such like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. um, But I don't. I personally, I don't, and just because I feel certain ways, no reason for others to do the same. But I just, it. What my issue is is why invest that money in a physical structure that will like be there and do so much to a certain yeah. extent um, when you could take that same money and invest it into um, like bettering the the legal system and fixing the problems in the legal system and fixing um, (coughs) investing in um, organizations that are able to go into those Central American countries where all these people are coming from and who are able to invest into fixing the problem at the root it's like it's it's it almost like seems to me like a wall is almost like a um it's like a band-aid on something like a huge gash that like needs stitches. It's yeah, like, that's a if really. If we're willing to, like, invest the time like with stitches, like it takes a lot more time than just yeah. putting a band-aid over it. And I think, long term, that's gonna be, what um. That's gonna be the solution that needs to come about. But also, like I said, like, no leader is appointed, yeah. government is appointed without God's sovereignty. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for me, I'm trusting that. This, just like any other um, decision that um, President Trump makes, is no different than that. It's not something that happens out of God's control. Yeah, I think, again, like everything we else we talked about, the wall even is a, is a complex issue of like, you know, it may keep people out, but it may not keep drugs out, right? It may yeah. keep, I mean, drugs don't stay out of prisons and they're surrounded by walls. So it's like... Also, sim- like 90% of drugs come in. Ports. Right. So. <laughs> so it's it's just the issue is so complex. And I think, um, you know, we disagree politically on, on some things and that's we're not going to we don't have to get yeah. into that. We're not going to. But um, I would be more pro wall and even more pro President Trump than you, I think, on this. But that doesn't change the fact that the the system is the root of the problem. Yeah. And the wall is not the, not the solution to the to system. system. Um, you you fix system by going to the legislation and going yeah. to the the inner workings of the system and fixing that. And the wall is not uh, the answer to that. And also, just a side note: when one president declares an emergency for something like this, any president that follows can declare an emergency yeah. for something like this. And so, yeah, we're starting a uh, a hole in a dam that I don't know that we can go back and plug. So I will say too, and like. The whole like declaring a state of emergency like this is not 
exclusive to President Trump, like other presidents right. have yeah. declared. Absolutely. Season, I think. Like I said, when we started the podcast, like don't make every decision you make off the media. Like the media is very quick to be like, wow, this is like this crazy thing that no right. one's ever done. And like, For sure. No, it's not really. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we always do recommendations at the end of the podcast. Is there anything you're watching, you're reading, you're listening to that you would recommend uh, to our listeners who are mostly college students? Um, Netflix, anything's going on. Man, I hate to say this, but um, senior semester has been way more work than I expected, so I really don't have time to invest in my passion of Netflix as much as I wish. <laughs> um, as far as shows, I'm sure you've everybody's watched The Office. Um, You're the second person, though, to yeah, recommend The that's Office. That's not my recommendation. Oh, okay, okay. Um, hot Topic, New Girl, It's Better Than The Office. Wow. That might be the hottest take you've given on yeah. this podcast. So, New Girl's Better Than The Office. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. <laughs> Give it a watch. Um, yeah. Um, is that is that it? You got other re- reading, listening, um, anything? Reading? Just about anything. Read a book. Um, <laughs> don't, don't watch shows. Read a book. Um, I've been reading, like, a leadership book if you want to get, like, super... It's by a Navy SEAL. It's like Chaco ex- extreme ownership if you want to be super intense. Yeah. He like wakes up at four in the morning. Um, it's a machine. I've, I've not quite put that into practice yet. <laughs> one day. Um, I just read, I just finished reading a book. Um, it was uh, called No Country for Old Men by Cormac oh, McCarthy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is a classic. So what happened is I, re- I watched the movie on Netflix. And then you read it? Didn't understand a thing. So I was like, maybe I will read the book so Cormac McCarthy's under, my favorite and author, understand so a little bit more yeah. and it was still very confusing but it was a good read I enjoyed oh, it oh man Cormac McCarthy alright sorry I can't I can't even dive in or I'm gonna but I've, I've read The Road The Road's wonderful he's a good author good. I was a little confused but yeah classic Listening, um, I was telling Hampton my aux cord in my car broke so I don't get to listen to much besides <laughs> the radio and that is a lot of country and I'm not too proud of that but I know John Mayer came out with a new song today so okay John Mayer's new song don't know what it out. is yeah. we'll find it it's probably good anything he does is good yeah um, and last thing is there anything you want to promote resources about immigration or I don't even are you on social media at all I'm on um, I try to tag you in Facebook. Instagram and then there's nothing to be found no I'm not on Instagram um, I'm on LinkedIn connect with me on LinkedIn <laughs> I need to find a job, so That's I guess hilarious. the more connections, the better. Yeah, <laughs> might sound like a joke, but really, if okay. You so leave our right on LinkedIn. Facebook or LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, if you have any job opportunities. <laughs> um, resources I talked about: um, the Good Samaritan <laughs> Clinic and uh, Lutheran Services that are here in Columbia. And if you want to get involved, um, I'm sure they're they're always looking for people. Awesome. Well, uh, Levi, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for teaching me some of this stuff. Um, As always, follow at Shannon College on Instagram and Twitter if you would like to hear about um, what our church is up to, what our college ministry is up to. And then lastly, follow me at Hampton Harmon on Instagram. It's very important to follow me at Hampton Harmon on Instagram. And connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, and connect with Levi on LinkedIn. Uh, This is more and more. We're out.